Last week we looked at the church at prayer in Acts chapter 12, and today, if the Lord be my helper, I want to look at Peter who is in prison. And so, if you weren't here last week, we'll recap for a moment. Um, Chapter 12 starts by saying, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands. And and what it's saying is that, that Herod, who had the authority and the governmental power, has is using that power for something, and it's to vex certain of the church. He's beginning to persecute the church or to, to trouble the church, afflict the church. And, and the first thing he does is he takes James, the brother of John, one of the apostles, and he beheads him in verse 2. It says he killed him with the sword. And Herod sees that the Jews, who were the you know, an accepted religion at that time, they were pleased that Herod had used his power to kill James. And so Herod, seeing that it brought him political power and good fortune, it says he goes on further and he proceeds further and he takes Peter also. And there's a parenthetical statement that says, then uh, were the days of unleavened bread. We're near Passover. And he apprehends Peter and he puts him in prison and he delivers him up to 16 soldiers to keep him. He wants to make sure that Peter's not going to get out of prison, and it says he intended after Easter, and that would be after the Passover, to bring him forth to the people. And and that wasn't just to present him to the people. Herod's plans here were to to bring Peter forth uh, to the people who were pleased by the execution of James, and and, and I believe he was going to bring them forward to the people to see how the people would like to execute Peter. And so Peter is is faced with death. Uh, The church is faced... Um, in, in a very, this may be the, the one of the most trying times the church has faced since they were scattered uh, from Jerusalem. And it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. What we looked at last week, it said, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. We see that the, we see that the church here was in prayer. You know, if you can use your imagination just for a moment, put yourself in there in their shoes. I imagine that this was a chaotic situation, don't you? One of the reasons that I think they were probably distressed and they were panicked is is often, I don't know if it's your case, but I'm pretty sure it is, is we don't go to the Lord in prayer like this until we're desperate. Rarely do we go to the Lord in desperate prayer do we go with vigor and with zeal like it's talking about here without ceasing when everything's good, right? And so I imagine this was a chaotic scene in the homes of the church as they were gathering to pray. To go a little further, I'll, um, let's see, I'll use Brother Tim McCool. A lot of y'all know him. He's a good friend of mine. He won't get mad. Imagine we got word that the governor of Alabama has beheaded Tim McCool. And it pleased their, if Brother Tim's listening to this, I'm sorry, I'm, he, he may listen to this later. Sorry, brother. Um, and I know this may sound silly, but it pleased his it pleased the people of Alabama that they're finally getting rid of these primitive Baptist preachers who have been bothering us forever. <laughs> and we'd be a little upset, wouldn't we, as the church here, be thinking, "What's coming next?" And then imagine you got a voice message. You know, I send out those voice messages, and you think, "Oh, it's Brother Josh." Send that one to voicemail. <laughs> And so you listen to your voicemail later, and it says, this is Brother Wayne. (laughs) 
Brother Josh is in prison. They've got him next, and we need to come up here and pray. Everybody meet at 5 o'clock at the church. Well, I doubt it'd be like it was this morning where everybody's laughing and shaking hands. And Can you imagine what the scene would be like? There'd be some people that probably swing into action. They say, how can we get him out? Let's, I've got my guns. Let's go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I hope some of y'all would want it. Some of y'all may be like, finally, <laughs> we got rid of him. Um, I imagine some people would be crying. I imagine there would be people who were anxious. I mean, there'd be a lot of people in fear. Are we next? It'd be a chaotic situation, wouldn't it? And, and the, the people then are no different. The same blood and the same nature that was in them is the same blood and nature in us today, right? So if you can imagine that's what we would be doing, that's what they were doing. But they were meeting to pray. They were meeting to plead to God to help them. And so we see the church... In, in action, we see the church doing what the church should do, but nevertheless, they had like passions like us. So we know they were scared. Uh, we know they were concerned. Um, you know, there was a lot of emotions I'm sure they were going through. But, and that's the picture of the church. Well, then we go on to the picture of Peter. Now, you remember Peter has been, first of all, Peter, the one he had walked with James and talked with James, knew James well. James has been executed and now Peter's been arrested so he's next that's what Peter's thinking right I'm next and you know they'd already been fooled kind of if you can say that the government the powers that be had already been fooled by Jesus <laughs> you know they tried to keep him in the grave but they couldn't do it so now it's a it's a maximum security prison we're gonna get 16 guards to guard Peter there's no way you're getting out and you know that Peter, as he's in prison, as he's in this jail cell, he's hearing, you know, they're probably the probably, I would imagine the ones that are guarding him or mocking him, you know, they're saying, is it worth it? They, they could have even been, you know, contemplating or, or um, imagining out loud to Peter, what kind of death are you going to have? Are we gonna? Are we gonna do? Are we gonna do? Is it gonna be the sword like James, or maybe we'll just boil you alive, or you know, maybe we'll crucify you like this Savior that you're following? Can you imagine what what Peter is feeling? And and honestly, you know, the the situation doesn't look good. It says that he was between two soldiers. He was bound with two chains. One chain wasn't enough, and then there were keepers before the door that kept the prison. We know there's sixteen people who were guarding Peter here. And so verse 6 begins, it says, and when Herod would have brought him forth. Now what is Herod bringing him forth to do? Herod, Herod has decided it's time to bring him forth to the people to execute him, to get rid of Peter. Herod is trying to get more power. He wants to please the Jews further. John Gill said of this, that, that he had determined not to dismiss him. You know, I bet Peter maybe was thinking, maybe I'll get dismissed. Maybe something will happen. But the time has come that he's going to bring him forth to the people. And, and, and Brother Gill goes on to say to expose him to the people and to put him to such a death as they would choose. It sounds a lot like Jesus. Y'all remember that? Who do you want? And they said, give us Barabbas and, and crucify Jesus. He's going to bring Peter to the people to crucify him. So Peter's in chains. He's, he's being guarded. And the time has come. You know, Peter probably knew that the time was coming. There was probably... A plan. There were rumors. 
And so I want to look at verse 6 with you and find what is Peter doing? We got the church over here who's praying, but we know there was a lot of commotion. Had to be. They're praying without ceasing, indicating that there was great zeal. There was great commotion, really. There was, there was great need and, and urgency in verse 5. But then in verse 6, it says, And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Think about that. <laughs> the, the night has come that, he, that, that Herod... The time has come that Herod's going to bring forth Peter to be executed. And Peter is sleeping. <laughs> you know, if that was me, I might be, I probably couldn't be, I'd be thinking about all the things that I, all the things I did wrong that I could have done. Any of y'all ever get stuck with that? All the, the, the times I could have helped somebody that I didn't. All the times I could have stood up for the Lord, but I didn't. All the the prayers I could have prayed, but I didn't. The, the Bible reading plans that I never finished. I, I probably would have been recounting all those things. You know, Peter could have been doing that. Peter could have been thinking back. Oh, I remember when that rooster crowed. He told me it was going to. I can't believe I denied him. I wish I'd have written more epistles. I wish I'd have spent more time with Paul. My, my life is about to end. <laughs> and he's asleep between these two guards. How many of you get wound up over even small things in life. Uh, there's a deadline at work. Maybe there's stress within your family. You know, many people here are in school. That's, there's exams and homework and tests and a lot of things that bring us a lot of anxiety. You know, we're, we're this is not a, this is not a, a secret that as Americans, it's, it's almost unique in some ways to America. There's other countries that are experiencing this, but we're in a mental health crisis. People are unhappy. People are all the time anxious. Um, just the cost of our nation alone to, to fund the, the crisis is increasing at like 20% per year. You can just see that, that, that people are not happy. People are not at peace. People aren't, look at our streets. People aren't at peace with each other. People in, people in mansions, but yet empty on the inside. People so comfortable, yet they have no comfort in their soul. But here's Peter facing death between two guards, 16 people guarding him, about to be about to be handed over to a mob to decide how they're going to crucify him, how they're going to kill him, that, that is. And we find him asleep in the middle. of. How many of y'all would like to have peace like that? <laughs> That's the kind of peace I want. That I don't know what's coming in the future. I, I don't know. Uh, and, and I can't do anything about the past. So I'm not worried about either. <laughs> I'm just asleep between the two guards. <laughs> That's the kind, that's the kind of, of peace that I want. And so this week I've been thinking, how could Peter have that kind of peace? And, and, and in the midst of this trial, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of, of all the uncertainties that he had, maybe, you know, I said may, 
probably human nature, he had some indication of what was coming to him. I'm sure the guards had heard rumors, even if they weren't true. Who knows what Peter was thinking, but maybe he knew enough. He, maybe he didn't know what was going to happen. Sometimes it's worse not to know what's about to happen to you, right? But in the midst of all that, he had this kind of peace. And, and, and I truly believe that if Peter could have this kind of peace, you and I can have it too, right? Peter was a human just like... Peter was the one that had denied the Lord. Peter was the one... You know, Peter... I hope that when we're done with this, uh, maybe this sermon today, or maybe we can look some other time, that we have a lot of respect for Peter. But Peter messed it up just like you and I do. And 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 if you can say, well, I can relate with messing it up. I hope you can at some point relate with having it together like Peter. <laughs> having it together like Peter. So how could Peter have such rest in this type of situation or such peace in, in the midst of trials? I want to look at a few, a few of these things. And I truly believe with all my heart that it starts here. If, if you're going to have the type of, of, of peace that in the middle of your trials, in the middle of, of, of your uncertainties, that you can sleep peacefully like Peter, that you can lay your head down on, on the pillow tonight and sleep peacefully, the number one thing you've got to work out is you have to understand salvation. If you're a child of God who feels accountable to, to God, you, 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 you feel yourself to be... Um, a sinner. You know that song? I called that song, I think it was 261. Come ye uh, sinners, poor and needy, weak, weak and, and wounded uh, by the fall. If you feel yourself to be a sinner like that, and you know you're accountable to God, then, then you cannot have peace until you've figured that out. If you're honest with yourself, right? You have to figure out salvation. And, and, see, the, the biggest problem that we have ever, the biggest problem you're ever going to face is not... Um, it's not something at work. It's not something with your health. Uh, it's not something with your, you know, your retirement. Uh, all these things that we worry about. The biggest problem you've ever had is that you are, are at, at, at variance between the God of heaven and you can't live with him forever unless you get that worked out. <laughs> Y'all understand that, right? That's the biggest problem you ever had. And until that problem is resolved, you can't have peace. And so understanding how that is resolved, I believe goes a long way to having peace in this life. And ultimately, ultimately there's two schools of thought. There's two trains of thought. There's two, there, there's, there's really two ideas of, of how people are saved or soteriology. You could boil it all down to what I believe is two: salvation by works and salvation by grace. You either go into heaven by something you do, or you're going to heaven by the unmerited favor of God. You say, but there's thousands of denominations and there's hundreds of different religions. Well, maybe call me crazy, but you can boil them all down to two really schools of thought. Either you do something to merit favor with God or God did something to give you favor with him. Those are the two ways that you can go to heaven. And, and, and I truly, or those are the two schools of thoughts on how you can go to heaven. I should say it like that. And I truly believe that there are many, many, many of God's people who are, who are constantly looking to their efforts to secure their salvation. And if they are honest with themselves, you will never have peace with God trying to do that. Never. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter how much effort you put in or, or, or how good you may do, or maybe you never miss your Bible reading plan, or you never miss your prayers if you're looking to your own efforts 
to merit favor with the, the holy, the, the, the thrice holy God of heaven. If you're honest with yourself, you'll never get there based on something you could do. I want to, let's look at Mark chapter 10. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Talking about salvation by, by work, salvation by doing something. Um, I've mentioned it here today. I've mentioned it here before, and I'll, I'll mention it again today. Um, you can think of it this way, salvation by verbs. You know, verbs are action words, right? You can jump or you can think or you can run. Those are, those are verbs. Well, we don't believe in salvation by verbs, by action words, right? So anytime you see in the Bible, you see, well, you, you must do this to be saved, or you, if you do this, you'll be saved. This is real simple now. That's not talking about being saved to go to heaven. <laughs> Whatever it is, if you are, are displaying some type of action, even if it be mental thought, that is not a text that is talking about going to heaven. Does that make sense? Does that what I'm saying make sense this morning? You know, you can be, Peter said to be saved from this untoward generation. He said to save yourselves from this untoward generation. Um, he wasn't talking about going to heaven. He was talking about saving yourself here and now, right? Uh, there's many things. We could go through that. It's a different subject for a different day. But, but here we're talking about being saved by works, which is so prevalent in, in Christianity today. And, and I'm not here to belittle people that may believe that. Uh, many zealous, good people uh, obviously believe that. But I'm telling you that they're missing. If, if you believe in salvation by grace, you've got something they're missing out on. Do y'all believe that today? <laughs> Do y'all believe that the message of salvation by grace alone is a message that frees people? <laughs> a message that more people need to hear? A, more, a message we need to promote more? A message that we need to pray that would, that would go forward into the world? Let's go, to, let's go to verse 17, Mark chapter 10. It says, that, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, this is someone coming to Jesus. He comes to Jesus. He says, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. Now, I don't blame the brother for, for asking that question, and I don't blame anybody for believing that because is there anything in life where you interact with other people and they don't require you to do something so they will show you favor? <laughs> we, 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 there's, there's no uh, realm of life in which we, we interact with people that they don't require at least we do something to get what they're even free. We don't understand free, do we? <laughs> Free. We were in the we were in the Walmart parking lot the other day, and it said, "Download this app for free money." <laughs> it had a sticker on the pole, you know, "Download this app for free money." And Brother Bo said, "Dad, give me your phone." <laughs> and listen, <laughs> I would have downloaded it if it had been free money. <laughs> but even if it was free money, I'd have had to download. I'd have to put the action to download the phone, wouldn't I? <laughs> And they'd have probably wanted me to give them their e my email address or my money or access to track me wherever I go. It's not free, is it? <laughs> not free. We don't understand free. Grace is free. So I don't, I don't blame people that it just makes sense that, that God would require you to do something to, be, to inherit eternal life or to, be, uh, to live with Him forever. That, that makes sense to a natural mind. That, that makes sense to our understanding of how the world works. And so this 
brother runs to Jesus and he, and he asked him this question, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, isn't it amazing in the Gospels how Jesus never answers the questions like, just give me a straight answer, Jesus. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> he says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And so he gives him a list of commands. He says, you know these. And this man who's come to Jesus answers and says unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now, can you, can you feel, we're, we're talking about feeling how they were in this story. I, I believe he probably began to smile and he said, I've got it. I've got eternal life. I, I don't, now he was lying to himself, but he's thinking, I don't, I don't commit adultery. I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't bear false witness. I don't defraud. I, I honor my, my parents. I've got it. And then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. <laughs> I believe, I really believe that this, 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 this young man is, he feels like he's got it. And Jesus can look into his mind and he just looks at him and he just loves him and has pity on him. By the way, if Jesus loved this man, this man is worshiping God right now in heaven. Do y'all believe that? No matter what happened to him in his life, no matter if he, came back to follow him one day or not, the fact that Jesus loved him is the reason that this man would make it to heaven. But Jesus looks upon him and he says unto him, one thing thou lackest. Jesus knew what he could say to this brother to show him, no, you don't have it all together like you think you have it together. He says, go thy way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. <laughs> they, they call this the rich young ruler, or the rich young man, if you read these parables in the Bible or commentaries on them. Because apparently this man was wealthy. He had riches. And, and Jesus knew that that was the thing that was, that was holding him back from following God. Right? But that wasn't holding him back from being in heaven one day. Y'all understand that, right? And so Jesus, you know, a lot of times we're blind to things, aren't we? Y'all have blind spots in your life? Or um, <laughs> the other day I came downstairs and I said, this house is a mess. What are we doing? This The den looks awful. And Evie Grace said, Dad, it's your stuff. <laughs> I could see it was a mess. I couldn't see it was my stuff. We have blind spots, don't we? You know, that's part of preaching is to hopefully enlighten you to some of your blind spots. Sometimes people have blind spots and, and that's part of being a brother or sister in the church to point those out in a loving way. <laughs> well, Jesus got to his blind spot. He said, there's something holding you back and it's, it's probably your love of money and, and you're not willing to give all that up to take up your cross and follow me. And this rich young man says, it says that he was sad at that saying. See, he had gone from, I think I have it all together and I've probably got eternal life because I don't do all those things. To now he's thinking, well, that's something, I don't have the ability to do it. Maybe he wanted to do it, but he didn't have the ability to do it. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. 
And it says he was sad at that saying. And he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. That word grieved means he went away with great heaviness. It means he was burdened down. He was carrying a yoke of bondage. That brother left with some baggage that he had to deal with. Anybody here got baggage they have to deal with in their life? He left with, he left with some things that were burdening him. And, and, and I don't know if he ever heard the gospel. I don't know if he ever really understood what Jesus was saying to him. But he left away, he, he walked away from Jesus that day sad. We know that, and very grieved. He was very burdened. He was under a sense of bondage. And 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 I don't care if it's if it's just simply, you know, accepting Jesus, whatever that really means, or if it's living a perfect life. If you put any requirements on a child of God, this is what you've got to do to get to heaven. If they're honest with themselves, ultimately they're going to walk away sad and grieved, carrying bondage, thinking, did I do it right? Did I do it enough? Was I sincere? And it's, it's, it's always going to leave them in bondage. But that's not true with salvation by grace. And... And so back to our back to our point, how can we have peace like Peter had? Peter believed in salvation by grace. <laughs> Peter knew that the biggest problem he ever had was rectified by by someone else on his behalf. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we have the Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas uh, they, they, it, says, it says in verse 2, they had no small dissension and disputation with this group of people. They made a big deal out of this. And what, what was the big deal? What were they making it about? There were certain men that came down from Judea and taught the brethren, taught the churches, taught the believers, and said this, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. They were saying, there were people that were coming into the church and teaching, except you do something. Who cares what it is? Except you do something. Unless you do it this way, the way we've always done it, the way we say it should be done, unless you do it this way, you can't be saved. And, and the reaction from, from God-called primitive gospel preachers was to make a big deal about that and say, no, that's not the way it is. You know, if anybody ever came into this pulpit and said, Unless you do, I don't care what it is, you can't be saved. If I've got any backbone in me, I would stand up and make a big deal out of that, right? And say, no, that's not the way it is. And so they come down to meet the other apostles in Jerusalem to talk about this. And it says in verse 5 uh, there, uh, that there rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This is to the the Gentile converts. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So remember, this is the, this is the early church. You've got, people, you've got people who have left Judaism. They've been trained in this religion. And they have left all that behind. to follow. The, Most of these converts, converts were not as well grounded in the doctrines of grace or the doctrines of the church than probably some of us are because it's new. They're still working some of this out, right? So, so 
not not that they're working out to see what is true. They're still just working out how what how does all this work with the help of God? And so the apostles and the elders, the church leaders, come together to consider this matter. Is there something that has to be done so that people can be saved? And when there was much disputing, so there's people on both sides. Yeah, you've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the dietary laws. You've got to do this, 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 this. All right, there's much disputing. It says, when there was much disputing, verse 7, it says, Peter rose up. This is our man that we're talking about today, right? Peter. Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? That would have been quite a scene, wasn't it, where everybody's, everybody's disputing, everybody's arguing. And I, and I believe probably when Peter rose up, uh, they probably hushed. <laughs> He had some authority. They, they probably wanted to see what he was going to say. And ultimately, he says, for, for you brethren who are trying to say that you've got to do something uh, to be saved, you've got to, you've got to keep some kind of law, you've got to make some kind of uh, commitment to be saved. He says, why are you trying to put bondage upon these Gentile disciples that you can look back from Moses to today? None of our forefathers were able to do it. <laughs> He says all the laws that were given, all the commandments that were given to Moses and to the children of Israel after him, none of those were fulfilled in anyone other than Jesus. They were all given so that we could see that we couldn't make it on our own, that there wasn't something we could do to be saved. He says, so why are you trying to lay bondage and why are you trying to make these disciples just like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus trying to tell them to do something so they go away with bondage and burdens and baggage? Do you see that? And so in verse 11, he says, but we believe, speaking for the apostles, speaking for the ones who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and had special revelation from the Holy Spirit, he says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they... He's saying there's one way that the Jews and the Gentiles will be saved, and it's not by being circumcised. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by keeping some diet. The only way that the Jews are going to be saved, the only way that the Gentiles are going to be saved is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you all see that? He says that's the only way that people can be saved. There's no way else that anyone will ever or could ever be saved than by the unmerited favor of God. Grace alone, period. And so I believe that if you can if you can understand that and wrap your mind around that, then when you get in other situations, if you can if you can say to yourself and truly believe that that was your biggest problem, and you can say the Lord worked that out on my behalf. The Lord chose me before I was ever born. The Lord chose me and loved me throughout my uh, despair and throughout my disappointments and throughout my sin. He still held on to me. If you can understand that that is how you're saved by the grace of God, then then. What do the other problems really mean in your life? <laughs> Does it, see, that probably says something about us when we're thinking that, that some problems are bigger than that. You know, that probably says a lot about how we live today. If, if the biggest problem you ever had is that you were at variance with God and he took care of that and it's by grace alone that he saved you, then you can have peace like Peter. 
And if, if you believe that, if you can, see, if you can trust the Lord for your salvation. See, one problem. The, 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 the doctrines, the doctrine of grace alone for salvation is. Well, it's not the most popular view of salvation in the world. Would y'all agree with that? At my ordination, I sat right there and um, Brother Luke Hagler questioned me. Many of y'all were here. And I'm glad that's behind me. Um, and, uh, you know, Brother Luke was a zealous Christian most of his life. And, and he left all that behind what he had to because he saw that salvation is by grace alone and he believed that that the old baptist church was preaching that message he, he left everything to come be a part of that and and if you'll remember he said he, he before he questioned me he said the one thing i found josh is that it's just not cool <laughs> other people don't find it as cool as i do <laughs> You know, he's very zealous about it. He's very happy about it, but he couldn't find people that that really bought into it. And I believe part of that is it's very difficult for us to truly trust God. Isn't it? It's very difficult for me to trust God with my future. I find it very difficult for me to trust God with my children. Like, I want to... I want to be in control of that. And if I find it difficult to trust God with my future or trust God with my children or trust God with my finances or trust God with my life, then we shouldn't find it a surprise that people have a real hard time trusting God with their salvation because you want to be in control, right? But if you can ever see that God alone is the one who saved you, and you can trust in God for salvation, then there's nothing else you can't trust God with. You know, I, I, I like I said, I battle those things, and all of us battle those things. But, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds. You don't either. But I know who's in control, don't you? I, I, don't, I don't think, <laughs> you know, you can... You could turn on the news today if you spent a lot of time watching it and you you would be so anxious by the end of the day. You'd be so confused. You would be so uptight. Um, just worried, right? <laughs> that you almost forget there's a God in heaven who's not worried at all. He's not worried at all about what's going on. He's not worried at all about the future. He already knows what's going to happen. <laughs> He knows when it's all going to end. He's, he's the one in control. Do y'all believe there's one in control? You remember, was it Nebuchadnezzar that said, I believe it's Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. He says he doeth his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? I don't know what your problem is, but there's a God who can overrule it just like that. The army of heaven. Notice that he says he does his will among the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. 
One is diverse, the inhabitants of the earth. But there's a whole army in heaven that's just waiting. There's not armies in heaven. There's an army in heaven waiting to do his bidding. <laughs> and he can dispatch them at any time to help you. And so if we want to have the kind of peace that Peter had in prison, where he could sleep between two guards, you've got to really trust Jesus. That's what Peter had that a lot of us don't have, is he really trusted Jesus. I wrote this down, the definition to trust this week, to commit to the care of in confidence. Y'all ever maybe gone to a financial planner? And, you know, I've met with some and, and you just don't, I mean, you think maybe they know more about it, I do, but you just don't really have a lot of confidence, do you? If we're going to be honest. <laughs> like, how much do they really know that I don't know? <laughs> so you commit your money to them, but you leave thinking, oh boy, it may not be there when I come back. What about doctors? How many of y'all have walked into a doctor's office and they told you something? And you thought, I'm going to go home and WebMD that. I don't believe it at all. <laughs> you may do what they say. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But you don't have great confidence in them because you don't trust them. I was talking about watching the news earlier. How many of y'all believe that garbage? <laughs> no. You don't trust it. Because the truth is, there's very few things that are trustworthy in this life. Most of us trust in, in, in three things. We trust in other people. And I hope there's people in your life you can trust in, but the very best of men are still men, right? My brother Sam used to say, never meet your heroes, you'll be disappointed. <laughs> people trust in government. There's a lot of people. Now listen. There's a lot of people. Think about when COVID or when there's um, maybe think about schools are failing or you think about um, whatever. Some emergency comes about in our nation. What's the first thing people say? What's the government going to do about it, right? What does that mean? Their trust isn't in their fellow man or in their God. It's in their government. What's the government going to do about it? And then there's money. A lot of us trusting in money. And, and really, honestly, if we got a few dollars in the bank and food on the table, we're pretty good, aren't we? We think we're doing okay. All those things will let you down. I, I want to look at, um, go to Psalm 118 for just a moment. We're talking about really trusting in God. We trust in man. Like I said, I hope there's some people you can trust in. You know, there's some people, if they say, I'm going to be there at 8 o'clock, I've got, I mean, I can set my watch at 8 o'clock. They're going to, I got confidence. I've, they've shown me they're going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I got confidence in them. I got some people, I got confidence they're not going to be there. <laughs> they say, meet me at 8, I show up at 8.30. <laughs> um, 
And, and, and the Bible says that confidence in an unfaithful man is like a, a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Not that a broken tooth isn't bad enough, but also a foot out of joint. Well, listen to Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. <laughs> it's better to trust in the Lord. Look, we want maybe we talk about the doctor. Yeah, there's doctors that I have confidence in, and I'm gonna I'll follow their their lead if I'm sick and I, I'm thankful for them. And I mean, how many of us aren't thankful for, for medicine and doctors and, and people that are giving their lives to help us? But ultimately, I'm not trusting in them. I'm praying that the Lord would direct them. What about y'all? Um, and then he goes on in verse 9. We think about man. Think about governments, authorities, people over us. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. <laughs> Right there, in those two verses, the Bible is telling you that it's better to trust in the Lord than in somebody else or in some uh, government or authority that's over you. It's better to trust in the Lord. But what about money? <laughs> I'll, I'll just read this to you. I know we've got to hurry. Well, you might want to turn. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. See, this is a big problem. And, and now... When you get to talking about money, you know, I've heard some people preach in such a way that like it's a sin to have any money. Well, that's not true because God used some very wealthy people. He blessed people. To, I mean, think about Abraham or David or some of these people. Um, you know, even in, in the life of Christ, there were some very wealthy people who, who helped him along the way, who, you know, had the tomb for him. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having money. The problem is when the money has you, right? When you're living for the money. And so in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. And you say, I'm going to check out because I don't have much money. In this world, there's not a person in here in this room today who's not rich. Most people never go like 10 miles from their home in this world. Most people, <laughs> you know, most uh, the, the, uh, probably the majority, I don't know if it's 50% or what, there's a lot of people in this world that they don't care at all about the price of gas because they walk everywhere they go. So if you've ever been worried about the price of gas, this applies to you because you that means you've got a car to put gas in. You're rich in this world. Maybe relatively in this country you're not, but in this world you are. And so Paul says, I want you to make a big deal to the people who are rich in this world. Charge them that they be not high-minded. That means that they're not arrogant or proud. Nor trust in uncertain riches. Y'all see that? He says we don't trust in our 401k. If you got a good 401k, praise God for it, right? <laughs> Maybe you got a you got a retirement some other way. Praise God for it. But understand that even if it's there to get you to your dying day, the 401k didn't do it. God blessed you to have it, right? God bless you to have it. That's who, that's who you've got a retirement, and maybe you work for it hard. You've got a pension, whatever it is. 
yeah, you put in the effort at the job to do it, but God's the one that blessed you to have it and be there and have the job and have the ability and the ox. You say, well, I did it all. Did you? How much oxygen did you produce today that you could breathe to get here? Right? Or to get to work for 30 years. None of it. He doesn't charge you a dime for it. There's a proverb. I believe it's proverb 23. And it speaks of riches. And, and if you want to know something that is certain about riches, see, here he says that not to trust in uncertain riches. But there are things about riches or about money that we can be certain of. And there's, it's Proverbs 23. I believe it's verse 5. He says that there is something certain about it, that riches will certainly make themselves wings and fly away like eagles into the heavens. <laughs> you, know what, you know what the writer's saying? is it's not going to last. And so Paul says, I want you to charge them who are rich in this world not to trust in uncertain riches, but what should they trust in? But in the living God. <laughs> in the living God. Um, to, to find true peace like Peter had the only way we can have it is to trust in God. Not just a little bit. The writer of Proverbs, again, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. I want to, I want to, I want to close with this because we're talking about Peter. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 14. Beginning in verse 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, He was there alone. But the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, or immediately, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be scared. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And there's 12 of them on the ship. It says in verse 28, And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be Thou, bid me come unto Thee on the water. <laughs> if you're a Bible reader, you know the rest of that story. And a lot of times the message is the rest of that story, right? He took his eyes off Jesus and Jesus had to rescue him. That's not the part of the story I want to focus on today. I want you to think about this. There was 12, but there was only one that trusted him enough to get out of the ship to walk on the water. And that's the kind of trust that it takes to be like Peter when you're facing death, when you're facing uncertainty, when you, are, you feel like you are trapped and in bondage 
that they can come, they can come to find you to lead you to your death and they have to wake you up <laughs> because you're trusting in the Lord. He gives his beloved sleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of this life. We thank you, God, for the knowledge that salvation is by grace alone. And we thank you that it is, that you haven't left anything up to us to do. There's not a weak chain in the in the chain of salvation that, that it is you who foreknew us and it'll be you who glorifies us. And it'll all be of you. We're so thankful for that, Lord. Help us open up doors for us that we can speak this message, this message that sometimes seems to be so unpopular and we wonder why. So we pray that you'd enlighten the minds of, of others and open hearts around here and, and show us how important this message should be to us. That every day we can go out and face the world knowing that, that, that we will not face a problem as big as the one we had that you took care of for us. And help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to truly trust you. Not to be begrudgingly hand over our lives to you and still wonder if it will be well with our soul, but to give it over with confidence, knowing that you're a good God who loves us and is for us and the army of heaven is at your disposal. That you're living to intercede for us. Help us to have that knowledge so that we can trust you more. Lord, we want to trust you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time and give an opportunity for anyone here like to come forward and unite with this church, confess Jesus as your Savior, submit to water baptism. You can come forward and let that desire be known to the church. Brother Joshua, do you have a song? We'll stand and sing number 346.